I said, I'm your daddy. Really? Daddy. Daddy. I am your father. You answer me when I ask you, who is your daddy? Who's your daddy, Gary? Well, good morning. Who's your daddy? That's what we're going to be talking about for the month of July. And I'm going to help us figure that, how to answer that question. Uh, because, you know, there's, um, back in May, we did, a, uh, we did a series of messages about the mission of our church, the mission of Freedom Fellowship. And, uh, and when we did, we talked about uh, the difference between spiritual freedom and true freedom. And that's, we have to answer that question if we're going to know who our daddy is because we can still be enslaved to sin, and, 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 uh, and sin can be our daddy. And so that's what we're going to talk about today and then over the next few weeks. Before we jump into that, I want to remind you of something coming up. The end of this month, baptism, on July 25th, we're going to do baptism out at Lake Lyman. <clears throat> we did that, uh, we did it there last year, and uh, we've done it some other places. A couple things you need to, to know about and be thinking about when we talk about baptism. One is... Uh, if you uh, want to be baptized, you, want, you have questions about being baptized, you're not sure what that means, uh, and, and you're interested in that, please let us know. You can talk to me. You can talk to Donnie. Uh, beginning next week, we'll have something out in the atrium there where you can actually fill it out and, and give us your information if you're interested, and, and then let us know if, we, if you want us to contact you to answer some questions. And then um, also, if if you're not going to be baptized, but you know, you're thinking, well, that'll be cool. Y'all do that. You do not want to miss baptism. And I say this every time, and some of you don't believe me, but I'm going to tell you, if I would rather you come to baptism than come to what we're doing this morning. What we're doing this morning is awesome, and, and it's, 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 it's important. But if you think, you know, I'm so busy on Sunday, I can only give God one hour. I would rather you give him the afternoon hour at baptism than this hour. Because it's a celebration of people going over, crossing the line from death into life. Because that's what baptism represents. Because we believe, and we believe it because the Bible teaches it, that if you die without Jesus, that you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. It's a real place. It's not fun. You won't get to hang out and party with your buddies. It is a serious, serious place. And we believe that if you accept Jesus as your Savior and you give him your life and you let him clean you up of all your sin, that you can spend an eternity in a place called heaven where there's no tears, where there's joy, where there's laughter, and you get to be in the presence of God for the rest of eternity. Now, what baptism symbolizes is that, is that people have chosen not to spend eternity in hell and have chosen to spend an eternity in heaven, and I don't want you to miss that when we do it. Because it's, it's just a celebration time. It's a great time to be hanging out with other people. So that's Sunday, July 25th. If you would like to be baptized, if you've got a child or teenager that's interested in that too, you let us know. We'll talk to you about that. And, uh, and we're going to celebrate that together on the 25th of July. Now, let's talk about what we're, what we're here to talk about today. The, uh, we did a series in May about the mission of the church, and, and uh, I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture that we, we spent a lot of time talking about that month, and, and hopefully it's familiar to you by now if you've been hanging around Freedom Fellowship very long. And it's John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. 
And, uh, and you can follow along on the screen or you can turn there in your Bibles. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. That's the second half of the Bible. And it says this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Let me read that again. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I think it's important that we read that scripture today especially because today is independence day in our country july 4th where where we remember the fact that we are a free nation and we can celebrate that and we remember the fact that there were great men who who sacrificed so that we can have this freedom people like george washington and thomas jefferson and thomas sumter and francis marion and people like that who made sacrifices Uh, some of the ultimate sacrifices so that we could be free, so that you could gather not only and worship freely today, but we could gather in a public place at a school and we could worship Jesus without worrying about being arrested or, or, uh, or, or fired from our jobs or anything like that. And we have that freedom. But that is political freedom. And while political freedom is good, and while we're thankful for political freedom, What we talked about in the month of May and when we talked about when we read John chapter 8 is that there is a higher freedom that is more important. There's a level of freedom that makes political freedom almost seem insignificant and that is spiritual freedom. Because if you die politically free but you die without Jesus, you still go to the same hell that someone dies in another country who is not politically free if they die without Jesus. But if you die with Jesus and he is your savior, and you're depending on the cross, what he did on the cross, to save you from your sins, then you'll get to spend eternity in heaven because you are spiritually free. And even though it took many lives of many men to provide for us political freedom, it took the life of just one man to provide for us spiritual freedom. And that man was Jesus. It was his sacrifice, not the sacrifice of thousands, but it was one man's sacrifice, and he was the only one who could make that sacrifice. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, today, as you celebrate political freedom, I hope you will also celebrate the fact that you are spiritually free, the fact that you no longer are a slave to sin. And that's what we're going to talk about today, whether you are living as a slave or living as a son. Because what Jesus said in John chapter 8 is that if you sin, you are a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will be a son. And a son has a permanent place in the family where a slave does not have a permanent place in the family. But the reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that you still struggle with sin, don't you? I doubt there's any of you here that would say, you know what, Cliff, I got this sin thing down pat, man. I don't do it anymore. That's in the past. I haven't sinned. I can't even tell you the last time I've sinned, Cliff. I'm so holy. Me and Billy Graham had breakfast yesterday, and we were just talking about how we never sin, right? If Billy Graham was here, he'd tell you that he he still sins. Because even as followers of Christ, we still struggle with sin. 
I, one of the places that uh, Sherry and I got to live for a while was New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, we were in school down there in New Orleans and uh, went to seminary there. And it's, uh, it really is like living on another planet. If you've never been there, it's totally different than anywhere else in America. And one of the things that we discovered when we were in New Orleans is that they have a water problem in New Orleans. I don't know if you knew that. I mean, even, even when it's not Hurricane Katrina, you just have a regular storm that around here, you know, you just say, oh, that's a nice little storm. Down there, streets flood every time there's a storm because New Orleans is below sea level. And some places it's six feet, some places even farther than that below sea level. So it's like a big bowl. And you know that, that one of the things that you know from science and just from observing the world is that water will always settle at its lowest point. So anytime there's any kind of rain, you're going to have water standing around in the street, standing around in people's front yards and, and all that kind of stuff because it just settles in there. Now, our lives, even if we're a follower of Christ, if we're not careful, we can allow sin to just kind of settle into our lives the way that water settles in on the streets of New Orleans. And we can get used to sin in our lives. And, and, and it just becomes kind of natural to us. But one of the things we've got, to, if we're a follower of Christ, we should never view sin as an acceptable part of our life. We should never view sin as an acceptable part of our life. Even if it's something you've gotten used to, even if it's something you've been doing for years and years and years. There's two verses of Scripture I want to read. You can just look at these on the screen. 2 Peter 2.19 says this, They promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves, once again, that same word, slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And then Romans 8.15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. You see, those two verses make it very clear that we have a choice as a follower of Christ to either live as a slave, to be mastered by sin, because for what it says in Peter is that we are slaves to whatever has mastered us. So if you've got something that you just can't quit doing and, you're, and you've been doing it for years and now you've just accepted it as part of your life, you are enslaved to that. But you can choose to live as a son and to accept the spirit of sonship that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. You see, it really is our choice. We have a choice to either be a slave or we have a choice to be a son. And so the question is today, are you living as a slave to sin or are you living as a son of God? And before we jump into, by the way, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to get there in a minute. Galatians is in the New Testament. And if you've got your Bible, I really want you to look at it in your own Bibles because... Um, the reason I want you to do that is hopefully then you'll remember to go back and read your own Bible later and say, oh, that thing in Galatians was good, and I have that in my own hands. I can read it. Galatians 5, Galatians is in the New Testament, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then you get over there near Galatians. But before we get there, I want to just remind you of something about this series as we continue. Now, what I want you to understand is this series is for all of us. It's for me. It's for you, it's for the person here who sins the least among us, which I think might be Donnie, I'm pretty sure. I just put like big time, I just put big time pressure on Donnie. I just, I just messing with him. But, it, but it's for everybody because what I, here's, here's what I don't want us to do. 
When I talk about being being enslaved to sin, here's what it's easy for us to do. It's easy for us to think about someone being enslaved to sin. You think about a junkie. You think about somebody all strung out. You think about your friend that you know that lost everything because they had a video poker addiction. Or you think about someone that you know that lost their marriage and, and, lost, uh, and lost all this kind of stuff because they had a lust issue that they couldn't deal with. And we think about those kind of people that are all strung out. But everyday normal people who've never lost their job, who've never lost their house, who on the surface it looks like everything's going fine, everyday people like that are still mastered by sin and are still slaves to sin. I think about it in terms of washing my hands when I go fishing. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Every day before I eat, almost without fail, I wash my hands. If I'm home, around the office, I just wash my hands. Even if all I've been doing all day is sitting at my desk writing a sermon, before I eat lunch, I'm going to wash my hands. It's just a habit because you need to have clean hands before you eat, right? But when I go fishing with my dad, I never wash my hands before I eat. We load up sandwiches and all this stuff, and I've been got fish scales on my hands and slime and everything else and cricket guts and all this stuff. And it comes time to eat, man, we just break out the sandwiches and we might rinse our hands off in the lake water where the lake, where the fish are, you know, using the bathroom in and all that stuff. But we just break out the sandwiches and we eat, right? And back in the day, you know, before hand sanitizer was invented, we didn't even do that, you know. Now, last time I went fishing with my dad, he broke out the hand sanitizer and I was like, what is that for? But but I did use it. But I, I don't wash my hands when I go fishing. And I've just accepted that when I go fishing, I'm going to eat with dirty hands, and it doesn't even bother me. I don't, as I'm eating, I'm not thinking, oh, I hope, I hope I'm not getting sick. It doesn't, I don't even think about it. I just eat. I've accepted that dirty hands will be a part of eating when I'm fishing. And for a lot of us, we think about someone who's all strung out, and, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that. But we've got something in our life that we've just accepted as it's part of our life. And we're way dirtier on the inside than maybe even that person is. And just like when I'm eating, when I'm fishing, my hands are way dirtier than they are when I'm at home. But when I'm at home, I make sure I wash my hands. But when I'm there, I've just accepted I'm going to have dirty hands. And for some of us, you've got something in your life that you've just accepted. Well, this is just part of who I am. I've struggled with this sin since I was a teenager. I thought when I got married it would be over. I thought when I had kids it would end. I thought when I got old it would end. And now I'm old and I'm still struggling with the same sin. It's just part of who I am. And you're mastered by it. And it's like eating with those nasty hands. You've just accepted it as being a part of life. Well, I want you to look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, the whole book of Galatians, if you've never read it, you ought to go home and read it before you, before you go back to work. If you go back to work on Tuesday, you got a long time. If you've got to go in the morning, read it tonight. But the whole book of Galatians is so good. But it, it's talking about, Galatians chapter 5, is talking about what it really means to be spiritually free. And it's perfect for what we're talking about today, about whether we're going to be slaves or sons. And so uh, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read several verses in there. But the first thing I want you to know about choosing to be a slave or choosing to be a son is this. Once Jesus sets you free, only you can enslave yourself. Once Jesus sets you free, 
Only you can enslave yourself. Now, let's think about this for a minute. If I were to ask you, and maybe I will ask you to raise your hand. I don't know. Maybe I won't. Just be ready. I just might throw you a curveball. But if I were to ask you, okay, raise your hand if you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he totally defeated sin. Would you agree with that? Would you raise your hand and say, yes, Jesus totally defeated sin when he died on the cross. Sin no longer has any power. We sing songs about that. We get excited about that. Old-time preachers holler about that. Jesus defeated sin when he died on the cross. Sin has no more power. We believe that, right? Now, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, and he has defeated sin on the cross, what should that mean for us and our sin? Does that mean then, if you've accepted Jesus, Jesus has defeated sin, does that mean then then you can ever say, well, I just can't stop doing that? I can't quit that sin. I've tried to and I can't. Because if we say that, then what are we really saying? That that sin is more powerful than Jesus, right? But see, if we really believe what the Scripture says, if we've been set free by Jesus and we're still enslaved to sin, it's because we've chosen to be enslaved to sin. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. Now listen to this again. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It doesn't say do not accidentally get burdened by sin because it's more powerful than Jesus and it might just take you over when you're not looking. It says do not let yourselves, do not make a choice that I'm going to live in this way. I'm going to live in the sinful life when I could be living the free life. And I love the rest of that verse when he says do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery because Paul's painting a picture. I've got a picture of a yoke. I want you to check this out. Now this is what a yoke, some of y'all thought I was talking about an egg yoke, didn't you? This is the kind of yoke that Paul's talking about there. And it was used on usually team of, of oxen, two ox, two oxes, or two oxen. And, uh, and they would put this part here around the neck, and, and that top part would rest on the, on the top of the ox's neck, right? And then they would plow the field. Now, you can't really tell how big a yoke is from this picture, but from the research, that the, the vast amounts of yoke research that I did in preparing for this sermon, I found out that a yoke from tip to tip could be anywhere from 8 to 10 feet across. So it's a, because ox and oxen are, are wide, right? So they, they're, big, they're big. So it's got to be a, a long way across. So, so it's, it's this big, long thing. And what he says there, Paul says is, do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. And he's painting a picture of a guy walking around with one of these around his neck. Now, if you've got one of these and you're walking around with it around your neck, it's hard to just function in everyday life. I mean, you're going to have a hard time getting through doors with that. And when you drive, you're going to have to roll your window down and let your yoke hang out the window. And you're going to have to be in danger of knocking over mailboxes as you go down the street. And you can forget picking up girls with this, you know. It's like, hey, I, I couldn't help but see you looking at my yoke. Well, I'm also a great dancer, too. I mean, I mean you're, you're not going to be able to do anything if you're wearing a yoke. 
And what Paul says there is he says, do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. What he's saying is, don't willingly put this on. Don't willingly live a sinful life when you've already been set free. Because think about it. Who would choose, okay, Cliff, you have an option. Today you can walk around unencumbered or you can wear this yoke all day. I think I'll go for the yoke. I mean, who, who would choose that? No one would choose that. But every day, if you've already been set free by Jesus and you are mastered by sin, what you are saying is, is I could live the free life that Jesus died to provide for me, that Jesus rose again to prove that he was more powerful than sin. I could live that life, but I'm going to choose to live this other life where I'm controlled by something else. Because it is our choice. Because if we say it's not our choice, then we're saying that sin is more powerful than Jesus. Now, why in the world would anybody choose that? Why would we choose that? I think one of the reasons why is because if we're honest with ourselves, we've gotten used to living the slave life, and we're more comfortable with being a slave than we are being a son. I don't know how many of you have ever seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption, if you've ever seen that. And by the way, when I talk about a movie up here, I'm not making a recommendation to you because some of you have never seen that and you're going to go home and rent it and you're going to come back and fuss at me because it's got really, really bad language in it. Um, so I'm just warning you now. It's R-rated and it's got R-rated language in it. But it's a great story. And there is a scene in The Shawshank Redemption that, rem- that I thought of as I was studying this scripture. And there's an old guy in, in prison. In this, it's, oh, by the way, it's a prison movie, if you don't know that. And um, there's an old guy in prison named Brooks. And Brooks has been in prison for over 50 years. He, he committed a crime back when he was young and his, in his 20s. And now he's up into his 70s, almost 80. Been in prison for 50 years. And he makes parole. So they let him go free. Well, he gets out. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have anything... And as he's out, he ends up taking his own life, ends up committing suicide. And there's a powerful scene where they come back and they talk about the guys that are still in prison. They talk about the fact of what Brooks did and how they couldn't believe that he killed himself. And one of the characters talks about, he says, he'd been in here 50 years. It was all he ever knew. He had gotten used to living this life. And he talks about the walls of the prison. He says, these walls are funny. He said, at first, you hate them. Then you get used to them. He said, and then you get to where you depend on them. And for some of us, you've gotten so used to living with this certain sin as a part of your life. You've gotten so used to living as a slave to that sin that you're afraid to live without it. You know that it's holding you down. You know that it's keeping you from being free. You know that it's like wearing a yoke around your neck. But you're more comfortable living that way and you can't imagine what life would be like if you truly lived as a free son of God. But when we do that, when we do that, we're making a, a terrible statement about the cross of Christ. Look at Galatians 5, 24 and 25. I'm going to skip to the end of the chapter. It says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus, so that means if you're a follower of Christ, he's set you free, forgiven you of your sin. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, the truth is this. 
is that when we choose to live a sinful life, we make a mockery of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. When we choose to live a sinful life, we make a mockery of what Jesus did on the cross. Because what we say is, we say, yeah, Jesus, I know you died. I believe that you're more powerful than sin, but I'm going to choose to live this other life over here. And none of us, if I brought a cross up here today and I said, I want you to come down and spit on the cross, you'd be horrified. You'd never come back to this church. That guy made people spit on the cross. But that's what we do every day. When we say we're followers of Christ, when we, when we claim to be set free by Jesus, but then we hold on to these sins and we live by them day after day after day. It's like we're spitting on the cross. We're making a mockery of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on that cross. You see, there's sins that we've just kind of let be a part of our life as acceptable. You got somebody you hadn't forgiven for years. That's a sin. But you're used to it now. You hold on to it. That keeps you warm at night. Helps you fall asleep when you think about how much you hate that person. Maybe you worry about everything. Do you know worry is a sin? No, Cliff, worry is not a sin. Yes, it is. Scripture says be anxious for nothing. And you worry the fun out of life. You can't even go anywhere for worrying that you're going to have an accident or something bad's going to happen. And you just worry, worry, worry. And you've gotten used to it. And it's an acceptable sin. No one's ever got arrested for worrying. Maybe you're an angry person. And you're just angry all the time. Well, Cliff, anger's not a sin. Jesus got angry. Yeah, but you're anger, angry about stuff that Jesus would never have gotten angry about. And your anger forces you and, and pushes you into saying things and being hateful to people. And you know it's a sin. Whatever it might be, there's all these things that we hold on to and we think, well, this is okay. I'm going to give Jesus all of my life, but I'm going to hold on to this. And when we do, we make a mockery of what Jesus did for us on the cross. The second thing that I think is important, and this will help us to understand how we can begin to live as a son and not live as a slave is this. You can't live the free life by yourself. You can't live the free life by yourself. Look at Galatians 5, 16. When he's talking about living free, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If you've been enslaved to sin, and even though you're a follower of Christ, and you still got this one thing, what will help you to to no longer have that sin settling into the low points of your life is if you begin to live by the Spirit. It says if you live by the Spirit, you will no longer gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, if, if you've got something in your life that you're holding on to that you can't get rid of, chances are what's happened is you've gotten out of touch with the Spirit. You've been trying on your own to overcome that. Well, if I can just be good enough, if I can have power of positive thinking, if I can, you know, just not go around that person, whatever it might be, I'm going to take these steps and I'm going to handle this myself. And Jesus is saying, listen, I died for you on the cross. You couldn't set yourself free from sin. I had to do that on the cross. And you can't expect to live every day away from sin without me either. My spirit has got to do that for you. If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. See, I have this idea in my mind that I think that if I lived at the time Jesus lived, I never would have sinned. Now, I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure I still would have sinned. But I have this idea that if I was one of the disciples, you know, it was like Peter, James, John, Cliff, you know, and, and the rest, 
I think that, that I would never have sinned because Jesus is right there, right? I, I'm hanging out with him. What are you going to do with Jesus right there? I mean, who's going to sin in front of Jesus? And so I have this idea, and, and I thought about it. It's kind of like when I was a little kid, and, and I'd be in my neighborhood uh, playing, and we'd play football. Whatever season it was, we'd play that in somebody's yard. You know, wiffle ball during baseball season, basketball, football. Never played soccer. There was never a soccer season. And, uh, and, and so we would, we would do those things. And, and, uh, and, and I don't know about you, when you were a kid, I'm sure y'all were all good kids, but especially when we're playing sports, that kind of stuff, I didn't always say things that little kids should say. I didn't always say things adults should say, you know? And, uh, and I didn't always have the right kind of attitude. And, and so I might be yelling and getting up in somebody's face about, I was in bounds, you know, whatever, and all this kind of stuff and going crazy. And every once in a while I'd see my mom walking around the neighborhood because she liked to just walk around the neighborhood. And as soon as I would see her, this fear would go over me. What did she, I wonder, what have I said in the last 10 minutes that she might have heard? I was being really loud a while ago. I wonder if she heard me say that. And I'd get nervous about it because when my mom was around, I was going to act better, right? And I had this idea that if I was around when Jesus lived, that I wouldn't have ever sinned, but I probably still would have sinned. But here's the, here's the thing. Jesus, when he was on this earth, he was real. He was a physical being that was on this earth. And when he left, what, does anybody know what Jesus said when he was getting ready to leave? He said, I'm going to send something to you now that I'm leaving. Does anybody know what it was? The, the Spirit. He said, I'm going to send the Spirit now that I'm leaving, the Spirit will be here. My Spirit will be on this earth. It will be around you all the time. And so we know from Scripture that the Spirit is everywhere. That God's Spirit comforts us when we need comfort. It convicts us of sin when we need conviction. We know that it's always around us. And so if I want to use as an excuse, hey, if Jesus was here, I wouldn't be sinning. That's not an excuse anymore. Because Jesus' Spirit is here. And he is just as real, his spirit being here is just as real as the, the physical body of Jesus was when he was on this earth. But if, if the spirit is present, and, and, and I, still, you know, I still get into this stuff, and why is it that I still sin? Well, look at Galatians 5, 17 and 18. Now, he just said in 16, if you live by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Then look what he says next. For the sinful nature desires what is Say it with me. Contrary to the Spirit. We know, I'm, I'm going to read the rest of those in a minute, but we know, we've talked about this when we did our gospel series a couple months ago. All of us from day one are damaged goods. When we came into this earth, we, will, we were born with a bent towards sin. We were born with an ability that when you're one and a half years old, you will knock another kid down in the nursery and take what you want. That's the way we were born. We were born with a sinful nature. And it says here that that sinful nature, that even though we've been set free by Jesus, that sinful nature is still in there. It desires what is the exact opposite of what the Spirit desires for us. So look at what the rest of it says. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So there is a battle that goes on inside of you every day. That's why when you are faced with the opportunity to live that sinful life that you've lived for years, there's a desire to do it. 
But at the same time, there's a desire to do it. If you listen, there's another voice, and that's the voice of the Spirit saying, you don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that. I didn't die on the cross so that you could live that way. And the choice comes down to us. Are we going to choose to live as a slave? Are we going to choose to live as a son? See, our default setting on our life is anti-God. Our default setting is the sinful nature. And that default setting on our life will do all that it can to push us away from living the life of a son and push us towards living the life of a slave. And then I love after verses 17 and 18, Paul just lays it out. He, just, he, just, he says, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to break it down simple so everybody can get it. Here's what sinful nature will want you to do, and here's what the Spirit should want you to do. And look at it. Verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And I love that he says that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious because there's no excuse for us. We can't say, hey, I didn't really know that was a sin. You know in your spirit if it's a sin or not because the Holy Spirit is always speaking to you, always convicting you, and you can't go out and do that and think, hey, I thought it was okay because everyone else is doing it. No, you knew in your spirit that it was a sin. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit... Now, watch how opposite these things are from the things we just read about. Is love, joy... Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I want you to think about yourself for just a second. I'm thinking about myself as I talk to you about this. I don't want you to think about anybody else you work with. I don't want you to be elbowing your husband in the ribs. Yeah, you really need to listen to what Cliff's saying here. I want you to think about you, all right? If we're honest with ourselves, chances are we're much more easily going to be involved in the things that we read in verses 19 through 21 than we are in the things we read verses 22 through 23. I mean, 19 through 21 has things like hatred, sexual immorality, fits of rage, what about selfish ambition? Yeah, we're eat up with that. Dissensions and factions? Are you somebody that's building unity or are you someone that's always trying to separate people and talk bad about them? Envy? Drunkenness? I mean, those are, those are descriptions of, of what's going on in our society every day. And, and we can look and we can see those things as part of our own lives. And then we look at it and we say, but you know what? It should be replaced with. I should be living a life of love. I should be living a life of joy, of peace, goodness, gentleness. Well, gentleness is something that is it's looked down on in our society and self-control. Are you living as a slave or are you living as a son. And for the next three weeks, starting next week and then the two weeks following, we're going to continue talking about 
this idea of being a slave or a son. And talk about the idea if there's a certain sin that is your daddy, that you are mastered by. And I'm going to talk specifically about three sins for the next three weeks, one each week. And Donnie's going to finish us out. I'm going to do the next two weeks. Donnie's going to finish us on the 25th. And I, when, when we prayed through this and I, I thought about it, I specifically chose three sins that normal people struggle with. People that have never been put in prison, people that have never lost their house, that just everyday folks that on the outside that we would pat them on the back. Mayors and governors and presidents and CEOs and employees of the month at Sam's Club struggle with the sins I'm going to talk about over the next three weeks. Because all of us can be mastered by sin. And so here's what I want us to do this morning as we close up. If you would say to me today, you know what, Cliff? I know that there's sin A, B, C, D, whatever it is in your mind. You, you know it. And I, I'm, I'm mastered by it. I'm controlled by it. I can't stop it. I've gone three months without doing it, and then I go back and do it again. Or I do it every day, whatever it might be. It's in my heart. It's my attitude towards this person, whatever it is. If you would say that, then I want you to ask yourself this question. First of all, don't, don't miss me here. Listen very closely. Do you know for certain, without a shadow of a doubt, that you have accepted Christ as your Savior? Because if you haven't done that, you're never going to be able to get over that sin on your own. And if you haven't done that, then you are living every day on borrowed time. You're living in danger. And the first step that you need to do, if that's where you are, is you need to ask Christ to forgive you of your sin and give him your life. Now, the second thing, if you would answer that first question and say, yeah, I know I'm a follower of Christ. I can tell you when it happened. I can see that I've grown in some areas of my life, but this area is still, I'm still stuck right here. Then you need to begin to pray daily and ask yourself and ask God, say, today I want to be led by the Spirit. God, I know I'm going to be faced with this temptation. I want to be led by the Spirit. I need your help. And you need to open up your circle and, and, and bring someone else in. Start with your husband or wife and be the perfect one and say, I struggle with this sin and I need you to help hold me accountable. And husbands and wives, if they open up something to you that you didn't know about them and they're opening up to, so that they can ask for your help, don't go, I'm so shocked that you're doing that and run out of the room. Try to accept it and say, okay, I'm not happy with that, but obviously you're not happy either, and I'm going to help hold you accountable. So this is what I want us to do. I want you to bow your heads. The band's going to come up. I want you to bow your heads. And I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray about yourself, your relationship with Jesus while I pray. And you deal with God right there in your seat. Father God, thank you for your word and for how crystal clear it is about the way we should live our lives. And Lord, how you even just list off things that shouldn't be a part of our lives and things that should. And God, I pray for each person in this room that if there's anyone here that doesn't know for certain that they've been set free from sin by you, that they would accept 
what you did on the cross. They would accept your resurrection and they would ask you to forgive them of their sins and to lead their life from here on out. And God, for those that have accepted you as Savior but are still struggling, are still dealing with whatever the sin might be that's just got a hold of them, Lord, remind them over and over, today, tomorrow, the next day, that you have already defeated sin on the cross and that your Spirit wants to lead their lives if they will allow it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, stand up. We're going to close with an awesome song, uh, one of my favorite new songs, and the band sounds awesome on it. And it's talking about the fact that we stand as people who are victorious over sin. We, Jesus has defeated sin. We're his followers, and we're victorious over sin. So I want us to go out and celebrate. Now, I, I'm, I, I want to make a parallel here, and I'm not bringing this up just to, just to celebrate on stage about this, but I just want to say that... Wednesday, I left my office after lunch and I drove down to Columbia and I went to a celebration for a team that won a national championship and I stood, I stood, yeah, I stood in a building with, you know, 13,000 of my closest friends and lost my mind over the fact that Carolina had, had won a national championship in baseball and it was awesome, but let me tell you something. That does not even compare, and it's totally insignificant and doesn't matter at all on the, on the realm of what God's doing in the world and on the realm of what's spiritually significant. And if I could get that excited with all these people about a stupid baseball team, then we certainly should get a whole lot more excited about that over the fact that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and he's victorious over sin. And this song, it represents such a, celeb a, a, a spirit of celebration over the fact that we're victorious, that Jesus has done it for us. So I want you to shout it out. If you don't know it, I want you to just act like you're singing. I want you to be excited about what Jesus has done because we're victorious over sin because of what Jesus did.